following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. All right, good morning, everyone. Uh, we're looking this morning in Matthew chapter 25. If you have a Bible you want to turn to, uh, otherwise we'll have it on the screen here. Title, Before It's Too Late, uh, How We Can Prepare for Jesus' Return. So let's begin by looking in uh, Matthew chapter 25. And we'll be reading from verses 1 through 13. Matthew 25, 1 through 13. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here, he, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Uh, as we've been sharing uh, this uh, series, as uh, Nathan alluded, is on uh, the return of Christ. And Jesus has been uh, answering two questions that the, the disciples put to him. When will the temple be destroyed? And what will be the, the signs of your return and the end of the age? Uh, and the first part Jesus answered uh, with some clear signs or indicators showing when the temple would be destroyed. Uh, but then uh, Jesus switches gears, and at the end of chapter 24, he starts addressing the time of his return. If you were listening last week, you know that Jesus made it clear that there is no sign. There's no warning, no clear uh, event that's going to indicate Jesus' return. And he, he argues that uh, his, time, his return could be at any time. And we need to be ready because it will come unexpectedly at a time when we're not ready. And so the, uh, the challenge is to stay awake and be ready, right? To be ready and to be alert and looking for the return of the sun. Uh, because you don't know the day or the hour, so you need to stay awake, verse 42 of chapter 24. And chapter, uh, verse 44, therefore you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And so the, the question, uh, he doesn't give a lot of details about what that means. What does it mean to stay awake? What does it mean to be ready? And so in, in the remaining parables, Jesus is going to give more uh, instruction through parables about what it means to be ready. How do we know that we're alert and prepared for his return? Um, uh, how, do we re- how do we prepare for his return? And it's important to be uh, prepared for a major or significant event. Uh, it's good to be ready. And I remember back many years ago when I led backpack trips 
with high school students up into the mountains. Uh, you would go up on these trips for anywhere from a week to two. And uh, it was super, super important that uh, I planned and prepared well for those trips. And so the first thing I would do to prepare for those is I would sit down and make a very detailed list of every single thing that we needed for that trip. Because once you hike many miles into the middle of the uh, forest, um, you just there's, there's no 7-Elevens there, right? Uh, if you forget something, it's really a problem. And I remember one year we forgot uh, one thing, one item that I didn't have on my list, and I forgot to pack it, and it proved to be really difficult. And what I forgot was a spatula, right? So, so things like making eggs, making pancakes, making grilled cheese sandwiches. I mean, they all require a spatula. So we're trying to, you know, create spatulas out of pine branches and stuff. And I'm telling you, nothing works like a spatula, like a spatula. And so, so it's important to plan. And so I would make these lists and I would round up supplies and I would make sure I was ready so that when we actually set out on the trip, we, we, were, we could have a successful trip. Well, Jesus wants us to be prepared likewise for his coming. And so what do we need to do to make sure we're really prepared, we're really alert, we're really on top of things for when he comes? And this next parable about the ten virgins is a parable about being prepared and not being prepared, of planning ahead and being ready versus those who did not plan ahead and were not ready. And so the account here is really a wedding scene. Right, the parable is about a wedding, and um, it says in verse uh, verse one, then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps. And the idea is that the, the then is really pointing to the time of Jesus' return. And he's in this parable, he's giving a picture of what things will be like when uh, in his kingdom on the day that he returns. And he paints this picture of uh, of a wedding. Uh, and there are ten virgins who uh, essentially form the, the bridesmaids for the wedding party. Uh, and in fact, you could actually, they're called, in this translation, they're called ten virgins. You could, you could easily call them the ten bridesmaids um, uh, who, uh, who are at the center of this story. Um, uh, and it's interesting that in the story, uh, only the bridegroom is mentioned. And these bridesmaids actually serve more as the maids of honor for the bridegroom. And uh, no mention is made of the, of the bride. Uh, I assure you, it was a wedding, and so there was one, right? There was a bride. But because Jesus has already introduced this as a parable about his coming, about his return, he focuses on the bridegroom, because he will come back as the bridegroom. So, so that's the focus. So it's not that there wasn't a bride, there was. But the focus here is on the return of the king, on Jesus, who is the bridegroom. The focus is on him. And so the way this would work, it's, a little, it's helpful for us to understand how a, a wedding in this time in Jesus' day would work. And the, what would happen is the, the groom uh, in the evening or maybe in the late afternoon would travel to the bride's house. And there he would be met by the bride and, and, and her parents. And there were some arrangements, there were some formalities that had to be gone through at her house before he would take the bride and return to his home. And there at his home, they would have the, the real festivities. The real wedding would take place, the celebration. Um, and we don't know what all the negotiations were, if he was still negotiating, negotiating something at the bride price 
Or maybe the bride price was three lambs and he shows up with three lambs and the, the dad doesn't like the lambs. They're not fat enough or they're ugly or there's some problem with them. We don't know. But there would be these negotiations that would go on and, and, and hence could cause somewhat of a delay. And it could take some time to make those arrangements. But when everything was settled and everybody was happy, the bride and the groom would leave the bride's house. And at this point, it would probably be dark. It would be at night. And so this bridal party, these ten virgins or ten bridesmaids, uh, their role or their function was to meet the, the groom and the, the bride as they come out of the house. And they would form this processional, uh, this kind of parade that would go from the bride's house to the bridegroom's house. And being uh, dark and at night, the, the, the lights were extremely important. And of course, in Jesus' day, there weren't street lights. They, they didn't have you know, cell phones or the flashlight. Uh, they, they had no light source. So at night, especially if there was no moon, it could be really, really dark. And so the bridesmaids, these virgins, have served a very important role of lighting the way on this procession. And of course, that's important. On your, on your wedding night, it's, it's important that, the, that your bride not fall down and break her leg, you know, or is, you know, face plant and give herself a bloody nose uh, or, or soil her beautiful garments, right? So this was important. It was important that uh, the this, this service of the bride's bridal party uh, lighting the way, and we know that they would carry torches. And uh, most translations use the word lamp. And when we think of a lamp, you know, um, we don't really live back in a day where we depended on, on lamps and lights and torches uh, we just flip a switch or uh, you know, turn on our cell phone and we've got a light. But for them, uh, lighting was important. And we think of a lamp as being um, kind of a bowl of some type with a reservoir of oil and some kind of wick. And the, the, the wick would draw up the oil and it would be lit and it would provide light. And they had those in Jesus' day. But that's not what's referred to here. Those kind of lamps would, would actually have very little light. And they were great for in a home and a small kind of close setting where you might have several lamps. Uh, but certainly the word that's used here and, and what's pictured here, what we know even, even up to recent times, uh, this has been a, a practice, they would actually use a torch. And so there would be a stick, uh, the end of it wrapped with rags, and then they would soak those rags in oil and light it, and it would put off a blazing tower of light. It would be a torch. It would light things up well. Um, and uh, it didn't last long. The average torch would burn for maybe 15 or 20 minutes, and then it would go out, and you would have to uh, apply more oil and relight it. Uh, so interesting, up until this time, uh, until recent centuries, uh, this is kind of a climax of a wedding, this, this parade where the bride and the groom would come out, and, and they would be escorted by these torches and this bridal party in this very elaborate parade, uh, to the bridegroom's house, and they would have this great festival of eating and, and singing and celebrating. Um, so that's the picture here. The, the, the bridegroom has gone into the bride's house, and these ten virgins, these, these bridesmaids, are waiting outside uh, near the home, waiting for the moment when it's announced, here comes the bridegroom. And there would be somebody who would come out and would announce that he's about to come, that he's leaving, getting ready, and so they would prepare their lights, their torches, and, and uh, escort uh, the bridal party to the groom's home. But in this case, it says there were actually five, um, there were ten altogether, but there's two groups, and Jesus divides them into two clear groups, five wise and five foolish, right? Uh, verse two, five of them were foolish and five were wise, for the 
when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. Okay, so this bridal party, and again describing what it's going to be like at the coming of Christ, what his kingdom is going to look like when he returns. Uh, and he said that not everybody's going to be equal. That of those waiting, of those anticipating his return, there will actually be a group of wise and a group of foolish. Uh, and at first appearance, uh, you really couldn't tell a difference between these two groups. And if we were to stumble upon them and we saw the ten ladies sitting there waiting, uh, for us they would all look the same. Uh, they would all be obviously part of the bridal party. They would all have come out to this designated spot to wait for the groom to come. They were all carrying torches. Uh, they all fell asleep at the same time, right? Uh, from outward appearances, uh, they looked the same. But Jesus uh, gives us a closer look and gives us an insight uh, at the very beginning, before they even went out to uh, wait for the bridegroom, uh, that they were not equal. That the foolish ones took no oil. And remember, the, the torches will not burn without oil. And it's important to note what he says. He doesn't say they didn't bring enough oil. He doesn't say they didn't bring extra oil. He says they didn't bring any oil. Right? They brought no oil. It's exactly what it says in, in the Bible. They took no oil. And as I described, these torches would not burn without oil. Uh, there was no reservoir at the bottom of the torch or in the torch that stored oil. The only way this would work is if you had oil that you could pour on or, or dip the torch into, right? So they had torches, but they, they didn't bring uh, oil, right? So when the bridegroom does come out and he announces uh, arise, it says that they trim their lamps. And that, that's the language for getting the, the, the torch ready, uh, trimming off the, the burned, scorched parts of the rag, dipping it in the oil and lighting it. But of course... Uh, for those who didn't bring the oil, the foolish ones, um, it wouldn't stay lit, right? Without the oil, the rags won't burn. And so for them, they tried to light their, their, their torches, but of course they wouldn't burn. So if we could put this in, just to really get the picture here, which is important, if we could put it in modern terms, it would be like this. It would be like the bridal party was out there waiting for the groom, and the foolish ones took flashlights, but no batteries, Right? No batteries, not in the flashlight, not with the flashlight. They just took flashlights, but no batteries. And of course, any of us would know that without a battery, the flashlight is worthless, right? It might look like a flashlight. It might look just like everybody else's flashlight. But without those batteries, it will never turn on. It will never produce light. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. Okay, they weren't bright enough to take the basic supplies needed for the torch to actually light. They were foolish. And they did not plan. They did not plan ahead. They did not prepare by bringing with them everything that was needed to fulfill their job as the bridal party. The wise, on the other hand, were prepared. And they brought not only the torches, but they brought oil so that when the time came, they would be ready. But, of course, we know also that there is a delay. Right? It says in verse 5, um, as the bridegroom uh, was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. Uh, so these negotiations with the bridegroom's parents are taking longer than planned. 
And uh, it actually gets quite late at night. In fact, all the way until midnight. And uh, it's dark, and they're sitting there waiting and nothing to do. And eventually, all ten of them fall asleep. Uh, and it's, uh, I think, an indication, uh, Jesus is hinting or implying here, that while his return could be at any time, uh, that doesn't mean that he's necessarily coming right away. Right? It doesn't mean that he's coming, certainly as he spoke to the disciples, that he was necessarily coming within their lifetime. And of course, we can verify that now, almost 2,000 years later. His return has been delayed. And it may seem like it's approaching midnight, the middle of the night. Um, and, and some people, in many commentaries, in fact, uh, say that the real problem here was the delay. That because the bridegroom was delayed somehow they ran out of oil, or somehow the lamps used up all the oil and burned out. Uh, but as I said, if you understand it, it's a torch, not a lamp, that's actually not true. And, and the reality is that the, the delay actually gives the foolish a chance to get prepared, to get ready. Um, they may not have come prepared uh, when they arrived, but the delay gave them plenty of opportunity to change the situation. Any of them, any of those five could have said, hey, I don't have enough oil. I didn't bring oil. I better go buy some now so that I'm ready when the time comes. But instead of preparing, instead of taking advantage of the extra time that's been given them by the delay, instead they all fall asleep, the foolish as well as the wise. Uh, in, in the previous section, uh, Jesus said, stay awake. Um, but, but this parable would show us that what Jesus means by that is that waiting for Jesus doesn't mean we never sleep. It doesn't mean that Christians become caffeine addicts who stay up all night, uh, staring out their window at the sky, waiting for Jesus to come. Like, just staring, waiting, right? That's not what Jesus intended or implied. Uh, in fact, uh, nowhere does he criticize that they fell asleep. Uh, in fact, the wise women fell asleep, but they... They had the luxury, if you will, of falling asleep precisely because they were prepared. Right? They had already taken care of things. They had already gotten what they needed to be prepared for when the bridegroom was announced. It is only the foolish who couldn't really afford to sleep because they hadn't yet prepared. Right? They should have stayed awake and should have uh, got what they needed. They should have gone and bought oil. Then they could have slept. And so Jesus can say in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Right? Uh, waiting for Jesus doesn't mean we become caffeine addicts who are stressed out, who never sleep, and who, who, who wear ourselves ragged. No, there's, there's a peace, there's a rest that comes when we are prepared, when we have done what's required ahead of time. Uh, so they all fall asleep, right? And then comes the hour, then comes the time, right, when uh, the bridegroom is announced. Verse 6, but at midnight there was a cry, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, since there will not be enough for us and for you, Go rather to the dealers and buy for yourself. Uh, what's clear from this, uh, this uh, teaching here, what Jesus uh, shares, is that going out to meet the bridegroom 
without your torch lit was absolutely unacceptable. Right? It wasn't okay to show up with a, a, a torch that didn't have fire. That would have been absolutely unacceptable. Uh, they were to honor the bridegroom and honor the bride and honor their wedding by showing up prepared, right? showing up with their torch burning so they could fulfill their job of casting light uh, for the procession. Uh, imagine, uh, imagine going to a wedding in our time, in our day, and uh, the pastor's up there with a couple, and they go through the vows, and you know each bride and groom repeat the vows. And after that, the pastor says to the turns to the, the groom, and he says to the groom, uh, "What token do you have as a symbol of your vows?" Right? And uh, the the groom kind of freezes for a moment, and he forgets his line. And he's thinking, and then at the last minute he remembers his line, a ring, a ring, I have a ring, right? And, and he turns to the best man, and, and he's going to get the ring from the best man. But the man, best man kind of shuffles his feet and looks down, and he's like, um, I didn't bring it. I didn't really think it was all that important. I didn't think it was a big deal. And uh, I just left it at home, right? Uh, can you imagine how shocked the audience would be? How angry the groom would be? Uh, and really what an insult that would be to show up unprepared and to say, you know, it's not that important, right? It would be an insult to his friendship, and it would be an insult to the honor of his position as best man. And that's exactly what it would have meant in Jesus' day for these bridesmaids to show up with a torch that was dark, right? It would have been, it would have been to say, look, you're not that important to me. It wasn't that big a deal. I didn't think it was really necessary uh, to, to have light, right? Uh, I just came because I wanted to be with the crowd. I just wanted to show up and I wanted people to know that I got invited. But honestly, I don't really care that much about you. I don't care if you stumble in the dark, right? Uh, it, was an, it was an insult. Uh, it was dishonoring to the couple as well as to what they had been called to do as uh, an honored, uh, in an honored position as a, as a bridesmaid. Um, it was absolutely not appropriate. Uh, and so they knew that, right? They knew that it would not be appropriate. And so they asked, well, would you share some of your oil with us to the wise virgins? Uh, but of course, that would not have worked. Uh, as I said, the, the torches would only last for 15 minutes. If they had shared the oil and then all run out, they all would have dishonored the, the bridegroom and the bride. Right? They, they all would have failed in their duty. So they tell them, no, go, go buy your own, or we will not have enough. And so we come to the end of the, the last scene of the, of the parable, in verse 10. And while they were uh, going to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly I say to you, I do not know you. Uh, And what's significant is the wise enter the feast. The wise go in and celebrate with Jesus, with the bridegroom, uh, his presence and his joyous occasion of his wedding. Uh, The picture is one of uh, life together with Christ uh, in this eternal celebration like a wedding feast, of sharing in the joy of God's love and his goodness uh, and uh, 
his relationship with those whom he has saved for all eternity. But at the same time, it is a picture that the foolish are shut out. Right, The door is shut. Uh, he says, depart from me, for I, I do not know you. Uh, uh, in, in essence, he's saying, look, it, it wasn't that important for you to be ready, so why should it be important for me to let you in? Um, and it, it, it comes to this great question. Uh, the, the parable climaxes with really this question for us. What could possibly be more important than Jesus and our eternal future with him? Right? What could possibly interfere with making every possible uh, provision to be ready to meet Jesus and to be with him for all eternity? And the sad reality is, I think, for many in our day, that what's more important than Jesus is something as trivial as their cell phone. Right? It's something as trivial as uh, their, their accounts on, on some social media, like how many likes they get or how many followers they have. Uh, what, what is more important may be the latest style or fashion of how we look and how we appear. Or our friends and the praise and approval of others matter to us more than preparing to meet Jesus. Um, for some, maybe it's having a successful career or wealth or a comfortable lifestyle, or a high position where we are respected. Uh, What is it in your life that threatens uh, or that is competing uh, for first place? What is it that threatens to be more important to you than preparing to meet Jesus? Uh, Well, as we look at this parable, uh, let's let's apply it. Um, uh, What is its message for us? Uh, of course, the big question, um, the big question we all must ask is, uh, that everybody wants to ask, wants to know, is like, what is the oil, right? What is the oil? And there's been many attempts to uh, ex- describe what this oil is that I need to have a lot of. Some say, well, maybe it's the Holy Spirit, and certainly uh, we need the Holy Spirit, so some say it would be that. Some say uh, it's our faith. Some say it's our good deeds. Uh, the truth is, Jesus really doesn't say what it is, and he doesn't seem to indicate uh, he doesn't give us any clues or signs that would really indicate uh, specifically what the oil is. But we do know this, that in the end, what is at stake here is, is our salvation. Like, it's clear that at the end of the story, the foolish uh, virgins are shut out and miss out on the salvation that God has offered. And likewise, the wise uh, prepared, the wise uh, enter into the salvation of uh, our eternal future with God and his kingdom. Uh, so whatever the oil is, it somehow represents uh, the full effect of God's saving work in our life. So I, I think you could call it the oil of salvation. Not that it's only that and not that it's limited to that, but, but in essence, that's what it represents. It represents the saving work of God in our life. It's interesting, uh, Ephesians 6.15 kind of sheds some light on this. Uh, Ephesians 6 uh, gives uh, the description of putting on the full armor of God. A familiar passage. Uh, and one of those is described in, in, in chapter 6, verse 15 of Ephesians. It says, as, as, And put on as shoes for your feet, uh, put, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Right? Having your feet uh, shod, having put on the gospel of readiness. 
uh, it's a great picture that the gospel is what makes us prepared uh, through its, the salvation it offers, being prepared to meet God, being prepared to stand before him. And of course, we know that this salvation is not something we work out on our own. It is a gift from God, and it must be uh, by his doing alone. And, and, and the gospel describes what Jesus did to give us salvation. Jesus gave his own life on the cross to pay for our sins. It was through his death and his resurrection that we are offered the gift of salvation by grace. But it's a gift that has to be obtained. Uh, God makes it available to all, but we have to grab hold of it. And we grab hold of it, we obtain it by faith. We take possession of it, so to speak, by putting our trust and faith in Jesus and what he's done to make salvation possible for us to deal with our sin and to restore us to a right relationship, a reconciled relationship with God. Uh, so it is a gift, but one we have to receive by faith. Um, and of course, all, all parables break down, and uh, it doesn't mean that we can buy it. It doesn't mean, even though in the parable the oil is purchased, it doesn't mean we go out and we purchase God's salvation. Jesus has purchased it through his own blood. But we do have to obtain it. We have to get it. And we do that by faith. Um, so, so that's what Jesus is really talking about here. He's talking about being prepared by, by obtaining, by, by coming to the place where God has done his saving work in our life. Um, another thing we learn from this is that appearances aren't enough. Right? All ten virgins looked like they belonged. All ten bridesmaids looked like they were waiting for the return of the Messiah. All of them talked like they were uh, waiting for the bridegroom. Uh, but the, uh, the reality is that appearances are not enough, right? Uh, appearances are not enough. Um, Jesus is saying that when he returns, there will be those who by all appearances look to be Christian. They go to church. They sing the worship songs. Maybe they even raise their hands. They put money in the offering plate. They say the right things. Uh, they participate in the right events. Uh, maybe they even carry the torch of ministry or of serving or of mission for God. But their life has no oil. Right? There's been no saving, real saving work of God in their life. It's only an outward show or outward appearance. Uh, while we don't know what the oil necessarily represents beyond just generally salvation, one thing is true. Uh, it is a, as a result of the oil that the torch can light, right? The, the effect or the thing that the oil produces when it's lit is light. Uh, and that's true for us as Christians. Those who have the oil of God's salvation in their life will demonstrate that oil, that saving work, by uh, the light they give off that glorifies God. And one of the failures of the foolish bridesmaids is that they did not honor the bridegroom at his coming. And, and the question is, not, not how do we appear, like not how we impress those around us, how they think we look like such strong and mature Christians. The real question is, is there the oil of God's salvation in our life sufficiently that when it's lit, our lives shine with the glory of God? that our lives exalt him and glorify him through our conduct and through our service and through our life and through our words. Remember, it is absolutely inappropriate to show up with no light. To meet Jesus 
and, and, and present to him a life that is darkness is to dishonor him. Uh, if, if our life is void of anything that gives him honor and glory, then we should wonder if we really have the oil of salvation flowing in our life. And of course, Jesus is not here talking about glorifying God by our own effort, by our own self-righteousness. Uh, Jesus had criticized the Pharisees for, the, for their, their false uh, righteousness. Uh, they did not glorify God because it was all of their doing. And Jesus uh, would teach otherwise. And in Matthew, he has taught that uh, it, is, it is God's saving work in us that produces the light that glorifies him. So in Matthew 5.16, Jesus told us this. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Right? But Paul uh, reminds us in Ephesians that that light, that shining, that those good works that shine out from our life that glorify the Father in heaven uh, in the world here uh, comes from him. So Ephesians 2.10 says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So it's not about uh, just looking good. It's not just putting on a good show that we look Christian. It's about having a life that's been transformed by the gospel, by the saving power of the cross, by Jesus' work of redemption, by giving his own life. And that that salvation works itself out in the oil of our lives, in, in, in works uh, that shine forth his glory. Right? Uh, those people can afford to go to sleep. Right? They can afford to fall asleep because they know they are ready. They are prepared when Jesus comes because they have the oil of salvation flowing in them. And it is evident in the light of Christ shining out from them. A third thing we can learn uh, here is that salvation uh, can't be transferred. Right? Salvation is not something we can share or give to somebody else. Each individual person must obtain it for themselves. Right? The, the, it wasn't that the wise uh, maids were selfish. Uh, it's that for them to give up their own oil would have cost the whole operation. Right? It would have sacrificed the whole bridal procession. And it's a great reminder that we can't give salvation to somebody else. And I know as a parent, uh, as parents, we would do anything to give salvation to our children. But it doesn't work that way, right? We can't share our salvation, our oil of salvation with them. Every person must obtain that work of Christ in their own life individually. Um, uh, so it doesn't matter uh, how saved your parents are or how saved your spouse is or what church you belong to, right? Or how many Christian friends you have. You must personally uh, trust Christ and uh, receive his saving work in your heart and life. <clears throat> Fourth thing we can learn. Uh, we can learn here about the great patience of God. Right? Um, unfortunately, I think many, because we don't understand the, the real image of the, of the torch and what the oil represents, uh, oftentimes you hear it taught and people understand that the delay is what causes the problem. 
right? That because he was so late in coming, their oil got burned up. But that's not actually what Jesus, what Jesus taught. Uh, these foolish women, these foolish bridesmaids, were unprepared for Jesus to come at any time, for the bridegroom to come at any time. If he had come right away, they would have been equally unprepared because they brought no oil, right? And actually, the delay uh, is not the problem, but it's actually a picture of God's opportunity of extending grace through patience, right? And, and 2 Peter talks about this in 2 Peter 3, 8 through 10. Peter says, Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. And he's talking by, here, by the way, of, of his return, of Jesus' return. Jesus is, is slow in returning, but with God, uh, he counts things differently. And with God, his return is not slow. If a thousand years is worth a day, in God's timing, since Jesus came, it's only been two days, right? Not been that long, right? Even though it's been a long time for us. Verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. But he is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed." Right? God's delay is not part of the problem. It is actually an opportunity to receive his grace, grace and patience. Right? He is slow because he is not wishing that any should perish. And what made these, these virgins so foolish is that they didn't take advantage of the delay to solve the problem. Instead, they just went to sleep. And it has been a long time, and God is waiting his return because he is giving you, he's giving the world a chance to respond and to receive his grace, right? to take that oil of salvation that he is offering, which Jesus has purchased for us. So, so here's the point of the book, like, of the parable. If we could sum it down into one simple statement, it would be simply this. Get ready before it's too late, right? Get ready for Jesus coming before it's too late. Uh, the foolish virgins were not excluded simply because the door was locked or because the host actually did, didn't really recognize them, but because they had insulted the bride and groom by being unprepared. Right? The expression, uh, Craig Keener shares this insight. He says, the expression, I do not know you, uh, in, in ancient times, was sometimes used when one wished to treat others as strangers, even if they knew them, uh, to keep them at a distance, right? It doesn't mean that I didn't really know you, but it's a way of saying, uh, you've dishonored me, and I'm shutting you out of my life because uh, you are not worthy, right? And that's what the Lord is saying. You, you, it didn't matter enough to you. It wasn't important enough to you. At the time, everything else was more important than my coming, and now the door is shut, and it is too late, right? So the message Jesus is saying here is simply this, the time of salvation is now, right? Now is the time when you need to deal with this question in your life. 
And remember, he's talking here about what the kingdom will be like when he comes. And he's picturing here the church. Like, we know that there are lost people in the world who, who are not prepared because they've never heard. Right? And that's part of our call to be, to be salt and light in the world so that they, would, they, they could prepare because they've heard the message of the gospel. But he's talking here about people who claim to be part of the church. Like, they, they mix in. They, they appear to be with uh, Jesus' saved ones. Right? Uh, they, they, they have all appearances of being part of his church. But they are not. Because they've never prepared. Right? And Jesus says, now is the time. Now is the time to deal with that in your life. Second Corinthians 6.2 says this. For he says, that as God says, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. The point is that when the bridegroom comes, and he could come at any time, when the bridegroom comes, it will be too late to get ready. There will be no time and no opportunity to go buy the oil of salvation when Jesus returns. The door will be shut. Those who are his children will go in with him. But those who are not his children will be uh, shut out. Right? They will not be allowed to enter. It will be too late. Salvation is offered to us now, and now is the time when we decide what we're going to do with the grace and the gift that Jesus has offered us. Um, don't put off the decision, right? Don't put off the decision. Don't let uh, the silly things of this life, like scrolling through Facebook or chatting with your friends, uh, cause you to put off dealing with this question of what you will do with Christ. Right? It's a decision you need to make now because Jesus could come back at any time. And when he comes, Jesus is making clear in this parable, it will be too late. Right? You will be shut out, uh, cut off from his love and the joy of, of, of life with him for eternity. Uh, receive his gift now, right? Don't be lulled to sleep and be caught unprepared. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that uh, your salvation is a free gift that you offer to everyone. Uh, that there's nobody that you're saying, no, I'm not going to offer that gift to you. That you offer it to every single human being. And you call us to be faithful witnesses who, who share the good news with the lost. Uh, but Lord, uh, this morning we're, we're, we're praying for those who have heard the message, those who, who are, are part, of, part of the church, uh, who are in a Christian family, and they know that their parents are, 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 are saved, but, but they're not ready. And Lord, I pray this morning, uh, if there's anybody listening who's never really put their faith in, in Christ, who's never made that decision to follow you, to live life seeing your salvation produce the light of your glory in them. Lord, that today they would realize nothing is more important. Nothing could matter more than that. 
and living our life in your salvation and seeing your saving work produce in us works of righteousness, works of light, works that give glory to the Father. And Lord, I just pray that if anybody's uh, hearing right now and they know they do not have the oil of salvation, Lord, give them courage and faith to decide now, to pray to receive you now, to put their faith and trust in what you have done for them, to obtain the oil of salvation today so they will be ready when Jesus returns. Lord, we pray these things and pray for your spirit to go forth and open hearts and eyes. We pray in Jesus' name. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.